Bill was teasing me. I left my little Luden's cough drop wrapper up here, and he said something. I left you a wrapper up there, too. So making fun of me. That's okay. Bill's my character, my daddy used to say. But, um, well, tonight we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 19 in Nehemiah chapter 6. And the title of the message is, Nehemiah refuses to leave the work. He refuses to lead the work. And what I'd like to do is in Nehemiah chapter 6, I'd like to read verses 13 and 14 if you want to stand for the reading of God's word. And then I will uh, ask for the Lord's blessing. Verse 13 and 14. Chapter 6, Nehemiah. For this reason he was hired that I should be afraid and act that way in sin so that they might have cause for an evil report that they might reproach me my God, remember Tobiah and Samballot according to these their works. And the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come to your word and we pray that your word would come alive. That your spirit would illumine it to us. That our eyes would be opened, our hearts and spirits would be refreshed. And our resolve to rebuild, to shore up, will be solidified and committed. So, Father, we consecrate ourselves today to your word, asking you to lead and guide your people, because we're your people to do your will, not ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nehemiah, uh, last time, had kind of, of his own record, wrote down some things that he had been accomplishing for God's people and remember last time and therefore he he just turned to God and said remember me for what I've been doing for God's people and he just laid out some things not bragging about himself but for his own record maybe a diary he just listed out some characteristics that that leadership does it's compassionate it's this it's that and so he did that and here in chapter six uh, uh, the opposition just turns up the heat and over four times they they have someone go to speak to Nehemiah to intimidate him, to oppress him, to cause him to fear. And then uh, a fifth time, he, uh, the, Tobiah and Sambalek come with a letter, and the letter's read out loud, uh, and, and just more intimidation, more accusation. What we'll find out about Sambalek and Tobiah is that they do what I call guerrilla warfare. Every time Sam Ballot or Tobiah had something to say negative or opposing, resisting what Nehemiah was doing, if you've ever noticed, if you read it long enough, you would find out they go over here and say it. Then they go over here and say it. Then they go over there and say it. And they go over here and say it. They don't stand out open and say, this is the accusation we need to address. They use guerrilla warfare. That causes confusion. That causes distortion. And so... Every time Sam Ballot and Tobiah, even in this case, they don't even come in person to go to Nehemiah. Because listen, if Nehemiah is going to be guilty of what they're fixing to say, and you love a brother enough, wouldn't you want to go to a brother and say, hey, this is what's wrong. You need some help. It's just real interesting how Sam Ballot and Tobiah go about it. They go about it in a guerrilla warfare, a tactic, uh, spouting over here, spouting over there. They even write a formal document with accusation. But yet every time they accused Nehemiah or God's people of something, it was like a rain cloud that was empty and no rain. They had no evidence. It was just accusations. And it reminds me of Satan, who's the accuser of the brethren, right? The Bible says he's walking to and fro on this earth, seeking whom he may devour. And he has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Hey, he was accusing Job, wasn't he? And God says, well, have you considered my servant Job? So even though Satan got to do so many things to Job, he, he lost his fortune, he lost his family, he lost his fame, but he never lost his faith. Why? Because God said that's going to stay intact. And as Job lost everything... He only lost exactly what God said he could lose, 
And even then, Satan could only do what God said he could do. So God was still sovereign in all that. But yet Job wasn't there when Satan was presenting those things to God. Job was clueless. It caught him off guard. But even being off guard, what did he say? Job, though he slay me, yet shall I praise his name. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. He understood the sovereignty of God even in that very intense situation. Well, I think Nehemiah understands that too. And listen, um, I talk about the sovereignty of God a lot. You know, he does what he wants, when he wants, to whomever he wants, for whatever reason he wants. And because God is a holy God, he can have those kind of powers. And lots of times I, I knew a pastor that would emphasize the sovereignty of God. And he had a critic over there. And that critic happened to be my Sunday school teacher at that time. And the Sunday school teacher, instead of going to the pastor to talk to him about it, he sat in Sunday school, and I'm just sitting there as a brand-new Christian. He said, well, pastor thinks God's so sovereign, like he mentions the sovereignty of God like it's a pair of keys, that when you go on vacation, if you didn't have those keys, you couldn't go on vacation. And I said, brother, you couldn't. We would not survive as an individual, let alone a church, if God wasn't sovereignly providentially involved in the affairs of men and women. We wouldn't exist. If God is not sovereign, then he's not God. And if he's not God, then what are we doing here? Let's just create a social group up here. We'll create that building over there as some kind of senior adult building. And this will be a room in here where someone can just give you positive messages and rah, 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 we'll join Amway and every other a little multi-level, we'll just open it up for, I don't know, wedding chapel. I mean, you see what I'm saying? But that's not what we're doing. We come here to be equipped, to be encouraged, to be challenged, so that when we leave these four walls, we believe we're on mission because people are lost and they need to be saved. We believe we're on mission that there could be a believer out there that has a need. And we find out about that need, we come back together and say, what can we do about it? We have purpose. We have meaning. All because God is sovereign in this whole thing called the church, called believers. So Nehemiah, in this sovereign situation he finds himself in, God led him there, right? Remember, we read Nehemiah. The Lord put it on his heart. He said, Lord, if you could just give me favor with this pagan king, I could do this. So God sovereignly put him there. In this situation, and originally when you start at the beginning of the story, it's great. God uses a pagan king to pay for everything, give him permission to do everything. He uses all this stuff. But by the time he gets there and does a survey, he's probably thinking, man, this is going to be a great work. We're going to rebuild over there. He's probably, he's probably thinking as he's taking that survey as we walk through Nehemiah, oh, that would look pretty over there. And before you know it, as they get started, what happens? resistance. Sam Ballot and Tobiah, they just don't like that. They just don't like what old Nehemiah and them Jewish people are doing. Who do they think they are? And before it's all said and done here in this text, they're not just griping and complaining about it. They're spreading rumors and they're threatening lives. They're threatening Nehemiah's life. But yet Nehemiah understands he's in this sovereign situation because God planted him there to bloom. You might be in a sovereign situation. I don't know everything about your life necessarily, right? I know some things. And God has sovereignly put you there. Now, I know some things that some of you are going through, and I've seen God put you in that sovereign situation. And as your pastor, I want to tell you something. I see you blooming. I see you bearing fruit of trusting God devoting to one another, taking care of one another. It's beautiful. So God is sovereign even in this threat to Nehemiah. In verse 1 through 4, Nehemiah refuses destructive deceit. He refuses the destructive deceit. Look at verse 1 through 4 of chapter 6. Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies 
heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that there was no breaks left in it, though at the time I had not hung the doors of the gates, which means people can kind of come in and go without any kind of regulation. Verse 2, that Samballat and Geshem sent to me. You see how they're kind of focused on Nehemiah? Hey, come over here, Nehemiah. We need to talk to you. That guerrilla warfare. If they're really concerned about Nehemiah and the people of God, who do you think they need to address? Nehemiah and the people of God. But they're going to Nehemiah, dividing, distorting. That Samballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, let us meet together among the villages in the plain of Ono. And of course, that's your first clue. <laughs> if I'm packing a revolver, I say, meet me over in Ono. You go, oh, no, 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 I ain't going to do that. Oh, oh, that ain't no valley. Oh, no, 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 don't do that. But in the plain of Ono, but they thought, that is, they thought to do me harm. So I sent a messenger to them. In other words, I sent them back a message, right? I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, so I cannot come down. Why should the work cease? In other words, why should this work stop? Well, I leave it and go down to you, and I'm leading this thing. But they sent me this message four times, and I answered them in the same manner. Sam, Ballot, and Tobiah, in their deceit, and then thinking they're so smart in their political move and their uh, guerrilla attacks, Nehemiah refuses their destructive deceit because their deceit was, was craftiness to harm Nehemiah, to distract Nehemiah, and once they get him distracted, they were intending to harm him, to bring reproach upon him, maybe even kill his life. Nehemiah refused the destructive deceit these deceitful ones always hate others to succeed in any way. Deceitful people always, always hate the success of other people. Those are in deceit. They're, they're jealous. Of course, these aren't believers. We'll find out here in a little bit. These aren't believers. But there's some leaders of Judah who are believers of God, and they're tying right in with them. They didn't remember, remember earlier in the text we saw a few weeks back, they didn't even put their hands to the plow, right? They didn't do any work, these leaders of Judah. So there were some insiders that were involved in all the conspiracy, and then there was the outsiders that were stirring it all up with the power and the authority to cause threat. These deceitful ones hated anybody, specifically Nehemiah, who was succeeding at doing something for God. These deceitful ones sought failure in what God wanted to do. Deceit will always promote self-will. If I become deceitful about something against you, it's because what I want, what I desire, my self-will, I'm trying to impose it through deceit, through deception. And I'm trying to get it done. Now, we could stop right there and talk about the courthouse, city hall, state capital, federal government, and we see politicians do that all the time. You scratch my back, I'll scratch your back, but then they don't keep their word. They talk out of one side of the mouth, out the other. So we just, what we're seeing here is human nature. Human nature, if it's not about God, if it's not about God's glory, it's always somehow self-willing something. And they do it with deceit. They do it with deception. Come out here to the plains of Ono, Nehemiah. We just want to talk to you about something. But what was their real motive? They wanted to harm him, harm his character, harm his reputation through guerrilla warfare tactics. If they were really concerned, here in a little bit we're going to find out, if they're really concerned that Nehemiah is trying to become king over Judah and, and run everything versus the pagan king, then they would have, number one, had evidence and confronted Nehemiah in front of the people to reveal his lack of character. And then once they would have confronted him in his 
lack of character, then they would have had evidence to take it to the pagan king to say, see there, we got proof. But all they could do is threat. Empty, rainless, cloud threats. Deceit will always promote self-will, not God's sovereign will. Nehemiah refuses the destructive deceit. Verse 5 through 7, Nehemiah receives the empty accusation. Because remember in verse 1 through 4, they approached him four times with a messenger, right? And he said, I ain't going to, oh no. Oh no, I ain't going there. <laughs> he said, I'm not going there. And he said, I respond to them every time. I cannot lead the work. If I lead the work, then the walls won't get done. And then you'll use that against me. See, Nehemiah's over there taking a vacation over an oh no with us. Whatever they're going to say to slander his character, cause harm to God's work. Well, in verse 5 through 7, Nehemiah on that fifth time receives the empty accusation. In other words, their ultimate accusation and their motive is this. Look at verse 5 through 7. Then Samballot, after that fourth time, and he got the same response. Then Samballot sent his servant to me as before, the fifth time, with an open letter in his hand. In other words, the servant had an open letter in his hand, right? For everybody to see, right? And it was written, it is reported among the nations, nothing specific, right? It's just reported among the nations, that is the Gentile nations surrounding and Geshem says, oh, he's, oh, he's got a name out there because I guess Geshem's got some, some kind of credibility. Geshem says that you and the Jews plan to rebel, rebel against the, the pagan kings of the nations. Therefore, according to these rumors, you're rebuilding the wall. In other words, that's why you're rebuilding the wall, that you may be their king. And you have also appointed prophets. You know, you've, you've, point, you've appointed your own prophets to basically say the message you want to say. To proclaim concerning you at Jerusalem those that he needs to be king. That there is a king in Judah. Now these matters will be reported to the king that is the pagan king. The king that he came there from that funded everything. So come therefore and let us consult together there in that plain of Ono. Nehemiah receives this empty accusation. Why do I call it an empty accusation? Accusations always come as a formal complaint. Accusations always come as fearful threats. That's why you know it's an accusation. It comes empty and it comes as a threat. When Paul talks about a pastor as a become is to be a man beyond reproach, it doesn't mean that the man will never be accused of anything because we're all going to be accused of something sometime. What it means is, is as they throw that mud, it doesn't stick. It's beyond reproach. It doesn't mean he's a perfect man there in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. It means he's a moral man. He's a pure man. He's a devoted man. He's a desire to, to lead the church. He manages his own household well. And that way when the accusations come, they don't stick. He's beyond reproach. But it doesn't mean that he's perfect. It means that he's an honest and genuine Christian more than anything else. Nehemiah received these empty accusations. It, it, this one came as formal complaints. The formal complaint in the sense that it came in a letter. But even out of their own letter, they said these are just rumors. Do you see their lack of credibility? I mean, if you're going to accuse somebody of trying to take over and become king, you wouldn't say, and by the way, it's just through rumors that we've heard that. You would rather say, these are not rumors. We have documents. We have eyewitnesses. That's why in 1 Timothy 5, later on, when it talks about if a preacher is sinning, it needs to be accused out of the mouth of two or three credible witnesses. Therefore, if he is guilty... You call him on the carpet so he'll repent and they'll bring fear on all the church. So accusations are really more like rumors when it has no rain in the cloud. Accusations will sound credible sometimes. He gave a name. He threw a name. Geshem said. Geshem must have a good reputation among the nations, you know, as a pagan person. 
Geshem said, and all these other nations around us, they're saying this, but out of their own official document of accusation, they say, but that's just according to these rumors. So why is he really doing that? Why is Sambalat really doing this? It's guerrilla warfare. Because they're bringing these accusations based off nation's rumors, Geshem's rumors, so they're casting this long shadow of doubt over Nehemiah, but yet no evidence. You see what I'm saying? He's, they're playing on the emotions of people. Even the people might say, well, I, I know it's a rumor, but, you know, I've met Geshem. He, he's like Joel over there. He's pretty honest. Well, and, and all the other people are talking about it, all the other nations, but it's just rumors. It's a long shadow of doubt that shows no evidence. It's a, it's a cloud, a rain cloud that comes over and doesn't drop any rain. They're casting doubt. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden, Satan's strategy? He divided the woman and the man. He kind of stepped over there between the man and the woman and says, woman? He already divided the family, right? And then once you start talking to her, well, God didn't really say that. He caused doubt. And then once she entertained that conversation, she says, well, what God really meant, and he distorted the truth. And it all started, he divided, he cast a long shadow of doubt over what God had said, and then he distorted what God said, and it led mankind into disobedience to God. Sam Ballot is no different. Tobiah is no different. They, they're trying to divide Nehemiah and his people the whole time whispering threats and the people are scared so that's when they begin to work with one tool in their hand and a weapon in the other so they wouldn't be divided so they could be assured to one another hey we're going to get this done and we're going to take care of each other they sought to divide now they're distorting things and Nehemiah says you know what I'm not going to entertain it I refuse to go to Ono and now you've sent this letter And these accusations may sound credible, but there's no credible eyewitnesses. It's just strictly rumors. So Nehemiah refused the destructive deceit. He receives the empty accusations. And then 8 through 13, Nehemiah rebukes the hired deceiver. He rebukes the hired deceiver. Look at verse 8. Through 13. So far, Nehemiah refuses and says, I won't entertain it. Then it came in a form of a letter, and he says, All right, I'll receive it, but it's just all rumors. It has no evidence of what you're saying. It's just rumors. Verse 8 through 13, Nehemiah rebukes the hired deceiver. Then I sent to him, that is, I sent back to Samballot and Tobiah. Then I sent him, saying, No such things as you say, are being done. But you invent them in your own heart. For they all were trying to make us afraid. That is, Sambalat Tobiah saying, their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. He's, He's feeling a little pressure there. Afterward, I came to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Delaiah, the son of Mehetabel, who was a secret informer. In other words, he was an insider on the inside of Israel. He was a secret informer. And he said, let us meet together in the house of God. Oh, well, maybe not the plain of Ono. Well, let's go into the temple, see. Let's go to the church. Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors. All this, all this closed door, he said, she said situations. You ever been there before? Let's close the door. Let, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. And let us close the doors of the temple. For there they are coming to kill you. Indeed, at night they will come and kill you. And I said, should, should such a man, that is me, should I, if I'm not guilty of anything... Such such a man as I flee, and I'm not guilty of anything, what do I need to flee for? 
And who is there such as I who would go into the temple to save my life? In other words, this is God's work. I can't, I can't even if I was guilty, I can't save my own life. I'm willing to die for what I'm doing. I will not go in. Then I perceived, then I perceived that God had not sent him at all. This was some false prophet. But that he pronounced this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Samballat had hired him. For this reason he was hired, that I should be afraid and act that way and sin. In other words, hide instead of being busy at the Lord's work. So that they might have cause for evil report. See there, Nehemiah is trying to save his life, but he don't care about your life. An evil report that they may reproach me. Something would stick. Nehemiah rebukes the hired deceiver. A genuine rebuke plainly points to the truth before God. How he did that is he said, look, what you're saying and what you want to do, it's not true. It didn't happen, and I'm not going there. I'm busy about the Lord's work, and you're not going to distract me. You're not going to scare me. You're not going to make me flee into the temple as if to save my life and leave God's people vulnerable. You're not going to do it. So he rebuked him with plain points of truth before God as his witness. And that genuine rebuke clearly stood innocent before God and man. He says, I won't do it. I won't go to Ono, because number one, the name of it just says, oh no, don't do that, right? Or Ono, whatever it is. And I won't go in the temple, because I'm guilty of nothing. And of course, God helped him understand, you're a false prophet. You're not telling me the truth. And you know, you know how he figured out this man wasn't telling the truth? He knew he came from Sanballat and Tobiah, and he'd already heard enough lies from them, right? So anybody that comes from them must not have any credibility. But the Lord helped him perceive something. That he was bringing him there so the people could say, see there? Nehemiah only cares about himself. It's not really about the wall. It's not about God's glory. He's just going to hide himself and they'll come and kill us. Then they could bring that reproach on Nehemiah. He says, I won't do it. I'm going to stand right here with the people and I'm going to get busy. Nehemiah rebukes the hired deceiver. Rebuke always corrects, but it never condemns. Did you notice that? In his rebuke, he didn't say, and therefore, blah, 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 blah. He just said, no, this is the truth. You're lying. So it always corrects, but it never condemns. It never condemns a rebuke. Then in verse 14 through 19, Nehemiah rebuilds the broken walls. What do the walls and the gates represent? They represent security. They represent a boundary between the world and God's people. And in the midst of those walls is what? The, the temple where they worship the one and only true God. Did you know that one of the things we're doing even as deacons tonight we're redefining things. We're hashing out things so that we can be better organized as deacons and a pastor being on the same page so that when the world does try to creep in or something else happens, we're organized. We're ready to minister. And the people know exactly what we're up to, know what we're doing. Every day that I technically come to work, I send a text to Jill and I send a text at this time to the trustees to let them know, this is what I have calendared today. Why do I do that? Is it, am I afraid that Daryl or David or Joel doesn't think I'm doing my job? No. Part of it is just being an old hospice chaplain. You've got to document everything or it didn't happen. That's what the state says. But it is an accountable thing. Plus the fact is, if, if I wasn't doing that to them and Jill, then, I don't know, three months into this now, someone says, well, what's pastor doing? I don't know. Well, now there's at least six people who say, well, I know what he did the other day because that's what he said he would do. And then if I didn't do it, you would know if I didn't visit Jim or Gail. Because then you could go to Jim and Gail and say, well, no, he didn't visit us. Well, then you know I'm a liar. So it's about accountability, but it's also just letting someone know this is where I'm going for my own credibility, for my own 
because uh, sometimes I'm going alone, maybe, you know, and therefore there's, I could be in situations that I got to be careful and got to watch my ethics. But here's Nehemiah. He rebuilds the walls for the security of God's people and for God's worship and God's glory. We do the same here, like the deacons meeting, when the trustees meet, we're thinking what's best for the church based on what we're doing here. When I meet with other committees that are on the building, that's what they're seeking, to, to shore up, to rebuild their responsibility to, to bring security to us. Not just physical security, but just security. Putting in uh, barriers for compromise, barriers for uh, understanding so we can understand what we're doing. We're literally rebuilding the walls of Calvary Baptist Church through all these little meetings that we're having. And as we look to God's word on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you know what? We're building up. We're shoring up. We're strengthening. I don't think all the gates are in yet. And it'll never be perfect, right? Because you're human and I'm human. But we're working on it. We're reforming and changing ourselves every day based off where I'm going in a direction where you understand and we're coming together to shore up and rebuild the walls of fellowship, worship, accountability, direction as to what God has called us to do. Nehemiah rebuilds the broken walls, verse 14 through 19. Let me read that. My God... My God remembered Tob Tobiah and Sambalad according to these words, works. And the prophetess, that is that false prophetess, Noadiah, and the rest of the prophets who would have made me afraid. In other words, there was just more than one. They had all kinds of false prophets out there. And what, what is a prophet? Now, we could say a prophet predicts the future. They did in the Old Testament. But a prophet, but for me to prophesy means that I'm speaking the message of God. That's what it means. I prophesy when I'm preaching to you. I'm speaking the message of God. Well, these people were not speaking the message of God. Verse 15. So the wall, check this out. So the wall was finished on the 20, 25th day of Elul or Elul in 52 days. Eight days short of two months. They finished the wall. All We saw earlier all but maybe some of the gates. But they finished in 52 days. Verse 16. And it happened when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations around us saw these things that they were very disheartened. They were disappointed. They were frustrated. They were angry in their own eyes. For they perceived that this work was done by our God. Not Nehemiah. Not Nehemiah and the people. They were disheartened when it was accomplished because then all of a sudden in their pagan minds, well, there's that God of Israel again coming through, the Red Sea, whatever it is. There he goes again. They're just disheartened by it. They're angry. Verse 17. Also in those days, these are the men that didn't put their hands to the plow. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters to Tobiah came to them. In other words, there was some, there was some in, inside ball game going on. There was conspiracy, and they were too lazy to do anything because they didn't want to be a part of God's work. They probably thought the same thing Sam Ballot and Tobiah. They wanted to believe Sam Ballot and Tobiah about Nehemiah. They were lazy. They were conspirators. Verse 17. Also in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and the letters to Tobiah came to them. In other words, they were corresponding back and forth during this time. For many in Judah were pledged to him. In other words, some were obligated. They, they, they favored Tobiah over Nehemiah. They were pledged to him. Because he was the son-in-law, he was related to somebody within the workers. Of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his sons, Jalem, the son of Barachiah. Also they reported his good deeds before me, 
and reported my words of him. Tobiah sent letters to frighten me. Intimidation, <clears throat> guerrilla warfare, caused confusion, caused division. And I think I'm going to sneeze here in a minute. <coughs> Excuse me. Whew. Caught that quick. Nehemiah rebuilds the broken walls. The rebuilding, any rebuilding, has opposition, but God will see it through every time. If the rebuilding has to do with securing God's people, securing the worship of God, and securing the glory of God, God will see it through no matter what the opposition. In the rebuilding, there was not only opposition that God saw it through any, anyways, the rebuilding also had its perks. How did it have its perks? Because God displayed it openly. When the nations saw it, they were disheartened. There's God again. Not, there's Nehemiah. No, they were disheartened because they realized they were fighting God and God openly put on their hearts to be disheartened because God had done it again. God had rebuilt these walls. Rebuilding, rebuilding the walls is like daily reforming ourselves. We talk about Reformation theology and once we understand Reformed or Baptistic or Biblical theology we haven't arrived we've just got information to continue to grow to continue to change to continue to mature to continue to develop what we're doing here at Calvary or any other church that is preaching God's word biblical word Nehemiah understood that and if you notice the reason I know Nehemiah was reforming the whole time is by the time we started chapter one when he just had a desire and said Lord just Give me an opportunity to speak to this king and may he have favor on me. That was his original maturity level, right? Just give me an opportunity and give me favor. Then, the, as he reformed and changed further into this vision, then the king heard what he had to say. And then he realized the sovereignty of God because the king says, well, what can I do to, to foot the bill? <laughs> what can I do to give you permission to get it done? Yeah. And even once he got to the walls and did the survey and they began to build, other things happened. He had to reform. He had to change and continue to trust a sovereign God. And by this time, they're feeling some, they're feeling some real devotion and trust in God because they've seen it come this far, so far that all the walls have been repaired except for a few gates that weren't in place yet. So you know what there was in their mind? Well, we can get the gates done. That's no problem. God will help us do that too. They had confidence in a sovereign God. And if you remember, the only thing Nehemiah told the people once he got there, before he did his, after he did his survey, all he told them is not everything that he had on his heart to do. He just said, let me tell you what happened with this king and how I got here. And this is what I want to do. I want to rebuild the walls. That's all he told them. It's just something simple. And remember what the people said? Let's do it. Let's do it. But before it was all said and done, they're getting scared too. Remember earlier, uh, earlier in the text, they were going, oh, what's going to happen? And he stood up as leader, put a weapon in one hand, put a tool in the other hand. And if the enemy comes, you defend your brother, you defend your sister, you defend your wife and your husband, you do it. We're going to do this for God. As they developed and changed and reformed their way of maturity and understanding what God wanted them to do, they began to change. But it all revolved around the understanding that this is God's work. He's asked us to do it. Nehemiah is leading us. We have opposition, but God will see it through because he's a sovereign God. It was that one doctrine that if God has called this man to do this, to call us to do that, we're going to get it done because God is going to make sure he sees it through. That was their understanding of doctrine, but they were constantly changing with the situations knowing that one doctrine, didn't they? Because eventually they had to get weapons and they had to get a tool. Sometimes they were being discouraged. And, and, he, uh, and remember at one time, just a couple weeks ago, Nehemiah finds out that during all this time they're trusting God, they're also using their brothers and sisters and charging them interest and their kids are slaves now. And Nehemiah says, stop it. Don't do that. 
How can we purchase our brothers and sisters out of exile slavery and then put them into slavery of our own? Stop that. Forget the debt. Move forward. Take care of one another. He, they, were, they, they were trusting God to rebuild the walls, but they weren't trusting God for their provisions. And he had, they went through that situation. God allowed them to be in that situation to learn something. Not to use your brother, to take care of your brother. Especially during a time of crisis. And a time of labor, intense labor and work. They were constantly reforming. The rebuilding had opposition. But in spite of that, God saw it through. The rebuilding had perks. And the perks was that when it was accomplished, the enemies even gave credit to God in their disheartedness. God did it again. What's going to happen here at Calvary? I don't know all the details, but I'm going to tell you something. Each day we decide to continue to rebuild, to shore up, to understand doctrine, to understand to reform and change our ways or, or thoughts, God is going to see us through at Calvary Baptist. Nehemiah refuses to lead the work while being belittled in his task, accused of his motives, threatened of his life. But instead, he continues the task, he solidifies his motives, and he avoids the danger with devotion to God's work and devotion to God's glory. That's what kept Nehemiah out of trouble. That's what's going to keep you and I out of trouble. No matter how much people belittle us, no matter how much they judge our motives with empty clouds, with no rain, no matter how much they threaten us, threaten uh, not just our livelihood or whatever it is, but we're going we're gonna to continue at the task that which will solidify why we're even here, why we're doing what we're doing. And as we solidify our motives, we're going to avoid dangers and pitfalls. We're not going to go to the plane of Ono. And we're definitely not going to seek to save our own lives because it's about God's glory. And what God wants, not what Steve wants, not what you want, not what we want, it's what God wants. And that's how we're going to do it, by our devotion to God's work to rebuild for his glory. Because they were rebuilding all these walls, putting them in the gates to restore a boundary for God's people. So then later in Nehemiah, we're going to see they're going to shore up the temple, open up the word of God to restore worship to restore God's glory that they once had left behind in their own sins and became exile in the first place. So the message is to two people. You're either a receiver of God or you're a resistor of God. To the receiver of God, as I said before, there is an accuser of the brethren. He has many allies. He has many voices. And this accuser of the brethren called the devil, Satan, will use anybody. He will use anybody willing to, to not submit to God's will. The devil with his allies, by their voices, they will say things like this, like they did Nehemiah. They will say, come over here. I got something to say. They'll say, have you heard? They'll say, I mean no harm. They'll say, you'll find out someday. It's always these long, casting shadows of doubt and rain, or, or clouds that produce no rain and no evidence. Just come over here. They'll pull Bill and Phyllis over here. Let me tell you something. And then they'll pull Daryl and Susan and tell them something else, or maybe something a little bit more distorted. Then they'll find Glenn and Ellen, and then they'll... And, and he, he just whispers in the ears. He's an accuser with no evidence. Satan will use anybody to use those words that is not willing to submit to God's will. These long shadows of doubt will promote fear, anxiety, and frustration. These empty accusations, as I said before, will be like clouds with no rain. They have no production. Well, what do we do when we hear it, Steve? Refuse to listen to it. Refuse to go to Ono. Oh no. Renounce the lies. That's what he did. That's not true. Nehemiah rebuked it. Rebuke if necessary and re continue to rebuild 
for God's glory. In spite of stubborn, constant resistance, instead, trust that God's will be, will be done on earth as it's already established in heaven because he is a sovereign God. I don't know what year Calvary Baptist was planted, I imagine back in the 60s maybe, something like that. But it would not have survived this long had over the years the pastor and the congregation wouldn't have had some kind of standard like this book right here, right? And why we do what we do or why we nominate who we do. And they, they wouldn't have survived had they not had some, some constitutional bylaws to say this is how we order ourselves. And, and no constitutional bylaw is perfect because a bylaw and a constitution is not the word of God. So it can change. It can be molded and changed for situations. But, but they had to have some kind of order and they had to have some kind of authority, some kind of standard to stand by. So the way I hear the past is that you've had pastors and congregations that use this as the standard and have some kind of sinless of order documents so they could order themselves to function as a body of believers. Nothing was perfect, but you had an order. You had, you had an understanding. This is how we function. And anybody that resisted that order or resisted that standard, they're probably still not part of the church. Well, listen, we're going to have to refuse to listen. Renounce the lies, rebuke if necessary, and rebuild for God's glory because it's about his will being done on earth as it's already established in heaven. What's the message to the resistor of God, the one that wants to resist what God wants, what God has planned, what God has set in order, what God has placed as the situation that he's controlling and using men and women? Well... A resistor needs to know that their ways of accomplishing their own desire brings nothing but destruction. Their ways of accusation and doubt bring futile and empty results for God. Their ways of maneuvering and using people creates nothing but a lack of trust in God and causes division amongst the companions. Their ways of getting things done are selfish, they are stubborn, and will bring them to a place of one or two positions. They will have to eventually, in that position, say, okay, I repent and agree with what God's doing, or I don't repent, and I'm not going to be blessed by what God is doing. That's what a resistor finds himself in. As they bring accusations, as they attack and cast shadows, they're putting themselves in a position eventually where they get back in this corner and they only have one way out. Either repent and receive what God is doing or not repent and not be blessed. Because these people like Sam Ballot, Tobiah, I know they were pagan people. We understand that. The Gentile nations were pagan people. But they did not want God's people to accomplish anything. And what did God do in spite of it? Because when it was all said and done, even though they were blaming Nehemiah, why he was building this to become king, all those actors, that's why Nehemiah's doing it. That's why God's people's doing it. And they're setting up preachers to, to, to prove that Nehemiah's going to be king, all the accusations. But when it was all said and done and the walls were built up other than a few gates, they finally came to a conclusion in their disheartedness. God had done something, not Nehemiah, not God's people. God had rebuilt the wall. Even the pagan people, in all their deception, in all their deceit, in all their self-willed, uh, ill will towards God's people, they finally recognized God was doing something, but they still didn't like it. They're just going to be people like that. They're going to find themselves in the corner, and they, and they won't repent, and they won't be blessed by it. However, if these pagan nations would have said, wow, God's people and God's doing something. It didn't mean they had to help them rebuild, right? But maybe when they got rebuilt, they'd become good neighbors. Who knows, maybe some of these Gentiles could have converted over to Judaism. But instead, they resisted what God was doing. Same thing when Moses looked at Pharaoh and says, let my people go that they might go worship the one and only true God. And it took curse after curse after curse and finally a curse that would kill Pharaoh's son 
Pharaoh to finally say, oh, go, just go, take everything you want. And then after, even after they took everything they wanted and got out there, his heart got hard again. He said, let's go after them. And what did that bring him? That brought him in the middle of the dry Red Sea. And once God's people went over, the Red Sea swallowed him up. So we can either be a receiver of what God is doing and find life. Or we can be a rejecter, a resister of what God is doing like Pharaoh and find death. So when someone continues to resist what God is doing, they're in a corner. They've painted themselves in a corner now and they either have to repent and receive what God is doing or they don't repent and experience the results of their lack of trusting God and a sovereign, what a God, a sovereign God is doing. And they're going to be disheartened. They're going to be frustrated people. They're going to be angry people. They're going to be people that don't know what to say because God has spoken. God has done something. So simply put, we're not going to have an official invitation, but this would be the invitation that I leave you as I close in prayer. Are we going to be a receiver and someone who's constantly willing to reform and change as to what God is doing in our lives, in our lives, or in the world? Or are we going to be a constant naysayer, resistor, because we'll find ourselves in a corner and prayerfully, by the grace of God, they'll repent and be blessed by finally receiving what God is doing instead of being left in their disheartedness and not repent and not blessed by what God is doing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for the story of Nehemiah and his people, your people. We even thank you for Sam Ballot and Tobiah historically, how it paints a picture, Father, how this world system, lost man, does not receive the things of God because it's part of their nature. They're condemned already. And Father, we're not here to push them further in their condemnation, but instead we're here to say, turn to God, find life. Turn to Christ. Find peace. Turn to the Lord and be set free and be blessed with what God is going to accomplish. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed in the Lord. Thank you.